Welcome to the Box and Life Podcast, where we talk about everything from happiness to success. From Sunderland, England to Los Angeles, California. From a lean, world-class athlete to a fat guy with cellulite on his ass. Hosted by 2008 Olympic medalist in the red corner, Tony Jeffries. Today, we have on a very special guest. This guy turned $820 into $450 million. He's known as the $50 billion man. He doesn't pull any punches. From L.A., now living in his huge castle in Scotland, where flying private and getting chauffeur-driven is an everyday thing in the blue corner. Dan Pena! Welcome to the Boxing Life Podcast with me, Tony Jeffries, and today we've got a fantastic guest, Dan Pena, also known as the $50 billion man. I heard about Dan about three weeks ago when uh, my brother-in-law, Mark, he sent me an email with a link on He said, Tony, and he listened to this podcast. He said, it's right down your street, you'll love it. So I listened to the podcast, it was right down my street, and I did love it. And since since I listened to that podcast, I, I googled Dan. I looked him up. I seen all his videos online and his motivational quotes. And I, I, I got pretty obsessed. <laughs> I got pretty obsessed with you, mate. I got pretty obsessed with Dan. And uh, and what a fantastic man he is, and what a fa- fascinating story he has got. So I'm very pleased to have you on the podcast, Dan. And uh, in a nutshell, mate, for people who don't know who you are, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, the uh, I come from the uh, uh, barrio of East Los Angeles, which now that you're in Los Angeles isn't too far from you. Uh, if you go, if you know where Dodger Stadium is, yeah, I, I come from just the other side of Dodger Stadium in East LA. Uh, and my dad was a cop. My mother was a housewife, but she came uh, to the United States as an illegal alien. She swam across the uh, Rio Grande River with her mother back in the early 20s, oh. um, and uh, the uh, so I had very humble beginnings, and I was pretty much a fuck-off, got in a lot of trouble, uh, arrested five times, uh, all alcohol-related, and um, the uh, and I was going no place in my life, and so during the height of the Vietnam War, uh, I volunteered to go in the Army with a couple of my buddies, and um, on what they called then the buddy plan which was just shite because it didn't turn out to be that way. We didn't, any, everything the U.S. Army, maybe the British Army is different, but everything the U.S. Army told us was shite. And we, didn't, we all went to different places. And uh, I, um, I volunteered to go to officer candidate school and I became an officer. And so uh, it's the only, only high performance thing I ever did uh, up till that time. I was 21 years old, I was a young lad. And um, I went through and um, I saw that I could compete uh, although my dad was a, an all-American athlete, I wasn't. I, I wasn't very coordinated, so I, athletically I didn't do well. But uh, I could compete uh, in the rigorous training. And when I got out of the military after um, uh, three and a half years active duty and three and a half years in reserve, I went back. Uh, even though I had flunked out of university before, I went back to school. And the world has more or less been my oyster since then. And so uh, I've gone from the barrio to a 15th century storybook castle in Scotland, which I've lived there since 1984. Um, and it uh, was uh, initially built in 
the tower in 1468. And uh, I came to the, uh, I've been living in the UK uh, since uh, the early 80s. And I went to the city uh, and I, I, I was very successful, made a lot of money, took a company public uh, on the London Stock Exchange. And then uh, in the early 90s, I got thrown out of my arse. The shareholders said I made too much money. And uh, they, um, which I didn't think I did, but anyway, uh, they threw me out and uh, I had to sit back and decide what am I going to do now? Uh, and uh, I had by uh, normal standards, by pre-internet standards, I had a lot of money. And right. so uh, I decided to teach. So I tried teaching university one year and that was hopeless. I, I thought the kids were all worthless uh, cunts, basically. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, I uh, more or less invented what's now called high performance coaching where I just look for, like yourself, you're an Olympian, you won a, a bronze medal, if my memory serves me correctly, yeah. congratulations. Uh, and uh, so uh, I, I look for people that understood sacrifice. And uh, and there's not many of us on the planet, Tony, believe me. Uh, my market is very small compared to other people that call themselves life coaches or success coaches or business coaches. My market is I'm looking for the top one-tenth of a percent so right. for seven for seven billion people on the earth, that's about seven million people on the planet. And for 22 years, next month it'll be 22 years. I've, I've coached and mentored um, some, some 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 great people, and I've created through my mentees uh, uh, and devotees, as they say, uh, over 50 billion dollars in value and equity on stock exchanges and net worths, etc. And uh, the uh, and with uh, a lot of luminaries, and uh, I've coached everybody from Olympians like yourself to uh, you know to guys that own pizza stores, uh, and uh, I've got a lot of success stories. But I, I give all my product away. I don't sell anything. Uh, I stopped doing that a few years ago because uh, I wanted to take the excuse away that most people say that my shit was too expensive. So I said, fuck you. I'll give it to you, cunts. <laughs> and, and I did. And I give it away. And, uh, the only, and I, don't, uh, I haven't given the seminar outside the castle this century in 15 years. Uh, although I'm giving one for uh, London Real, uh, who uh, uh, gave me my start about a year ago in showbiz. Well, I'll get into that later. And, um, and I only uh, give them at the castle. I used to give seminars for free. Um, but my results, uh, uh, even though by industry standards, they were very good. My results vis-a-vis -vis what I thought they should do was poor. So, um, but I used to give seminars all over the world, but now basically I just give them at Guthrie Castle up in Scotland four or five times a year and, uh, have 20, 25 people there. And then the important thing is then I mentor you for a year afterwards for free. Um, and I beat you like a rented mule. Uh, uh, similar to maybe the toughest coach you ever had, uh, beat you. Uh, and um, we have weekly reports and monthly conference calls, not dissimilar to the Skype call I'm doing with you. Uh, and I measure the results, and uh, I don't take their excuses. Uh, and I've had a lot of positive results. But more importantly than anything, I love the fuck out of it. Yeah. I'm having a I have a great time uh, uh, pulling the kids, and I call you all kids, because I'm old enough either to be your father or your grandfather, uh, across the goal line. And uh, every time they uh, success, I live vicariously through their successes. So that's my story in a, in a little nutshell and yeah. why uh, I, I appeal. And I appeal especially 
with the greatest respect to guys that know what sacrifice is about, which uh, you didn't get to the Olympics by not sacrificing. So um, yeah. the, uh, you understand that. Yeah. Dan, when you see your coach people, uh, can you tell me more about that? Like, what is, what is coaching? Like, I know, I mean, I know, but for people who are listening, because uh, to me, coaching is when you, when you train uh, an athlete. That's what, how high I uh, know what coaching is. So can you tell me what your coaching sure. is? Sure, absolutely. I, I, well, I coach you uh, mentally. Now, right. a lot of what you did is mental uh, because, you know, you had to believe in yourself before anybody else believed in you. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, most of the people on the planet um, have failed a lot of times at different things, and they're, they're very much concerned about what other people think about them. So I teach them, coach them, train them mentally to understand the most important per- person in their life is them. Uh, you can't love anybody or do anything well unless you love yourself. Uh, and that self-esteem and believing in yourself is, is, is the platform for uh, high-performance activities, whether it's in athletics, and I've, I've coached a lot of athletes, or in uh, making money. Uh, money's not any, everything in life, but it's the only thing anybody keeps track of. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I, I, I coach them to believe in themselves. And uh, we have uh, drills and we have benchmarks. Uh, and uh, the um, and the success is built upon success, and you'll appreciate that. You know, uh, having uh, uh, fought for uh, uh, several years <coughs> before, excuse me, before you retired, and that uh, uh, you know, uh, y- y- somebody believed in you. First, you had to believe in yourself, then somebody else believed in you. And normally, it's your manager or your coach or your. Yeah. Uh, and now they got all kinds of coaches. They got nutrition coaches. They got this coach, that guy, coach. Uh, and the uh, and, and and I teach them that we only make uh, change in life for two reasons: inspiration or desperation. Most of the people that come to me are desperate. Once in a while, I get some guy that's in, or gal that's inspired, truly inspired. Uh, but mostly, it's because they've tried everything else known to man, uh, and that uh, hasn't worked for them. And uh, I show them, first of all, I have a whole, now after 22 years of doing this, I've got a whole stable uh, of uh, uh, Olympians, gold medalists, uh, high-profile financial people, um, uh, movie stars, uh, tennis stars, you name it, uh, National Basketball Association world champs and their coaches. i got a whole stable of people that I've been successful with. But the one it started with is, I and how I built my following over the last 20 plus years is I took 820 bucks, which is all the money I had in the world, and I turned it into 450 million uh, in eight years in a, in a collapsing market. Wow. Uh, and this is pre-internet. This is not uh, you know Zuckerberg, Facebook kind of stuff. This is bricks and mortar. Right. Uh, and uh, and uh, the uh, and I come from the barrio, and even though I did go to university. Uh, I didn't go to any fancy school. I flunked out of university three times before I finally graduated. And uh, the, uh, but I use the same building block system, and it's a seven-step system. And it's very analogous. People that I've trained that uh, are in Alcoholics Anonymous or uh, uh, Drug Anonymous or any of those 12-step programs, mine's a seven-step program because most people are too stupid to follow 12 steps. So I, I got seven. I got seven steps, and any fucking monkey can ought to be able to uh, follow seven steps. And uh, but then I make you accountable. 
uh, and so I use the same system that I used, and my system's based on a mentor, mentorship. Find a mentor, build a dream team, uh, and, uh, and, and do something that you love, that you're passionate, because when you're passionate about it, it's not work. Like, I work seven days a week, I still work 50, 60 hours a week, and I'm retired. And, uh, you know, and the, uh, but I don't consider it work, you know. I landed today, give me an example. I landed today at uh, 5.40 in the morning here in London. Uh, my first meeting was at 8 o'clock this morning. I got to the hotel. I'm, I stay at the Ritz. I'm at the Ritz at uh, 10 after 7. I slammed some food down my throat for breakfast. I washed my face. Didn't even have time to change clothes. Went downstairs and had my first meeting. And I meet kids and I, I post my schedule uh, uh, on my website. Uh, so, and I see, yeah, I'm going to see about 22 or 23 people this trip here in London. I'll be here three days. Um, and I'm giving, uh, as a favor to the founder of London Real, Brian Rose, I'm giving a one day seminar talk to a bunch of his followers that they had to compete to get to, to, to and have dinner with him, uh, this coming Saturday in two days. Uh, but, uh, go, uh, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, I was just going to say there, like go back to what you've just said about, uh, people to find their pa- find the passion and do do what they're passionate about rather than I suppose stuck in a dead end job. How can people find their passion? How can they find what out what their passion is? Because okay. me, like I was a passionate boxer, but I retired and then trying to find my passion. I've got two very successful gyms now. I, I don't think I'm passionate about it. Although I love to go travel. That I, th- I would say that was my passion: traveling, uh, eating nice restaurants, spending money. That's that. I'll, that's something I love. But what's the difference between that and passion? How do you find your passion? Okay, good question. But see, you know, see, people that are successful, they create wealth and create money and cash flow, have more choices in life. You can go to restaurants, you can travel, and you can take your family and do the things you just said. But to create to create that wealth, uh, you've uh, started two gyms, uh, uh, and they. I assume the cash flow uh, and uh, to uh, go out and do the things you love. What pe- what people do is they they're afraid to follow their dream. You can't have a dream come true unless you have a dream, and they're afraid to follow their dream because they're afraid of what people are going to say. They're afraid of what their dad or well, why don't you get a real job, uh, or or even God forbid their wife or significant other is going to say you know uh, why don't you get another do something uh, that's legitimate. Uh, and um, they they listen to everybody but themselves. Uh, and if you know, like a lot of people like to play tennis, you know, but most people aren't good enough to to, um, to play tennis uh, competitively, make money, at it, right? A lot of a lot, a lot of guys like to play golf. Uh, and uh, well, that doesn't mean you can't own a golf store. That doesn't mean you can't own a tennis shop. That doesn't mean uh, you know everybody that owns a, a golf store isn't an ex uh, Jack Nicholas uh, and uh, the but um, if you like sports uh, uh, then you know get involved in something and but not everything is going to make you money I mean uh, I know a couple of guys that I went to school with that were high school and college uh, coaches that uh, loved it uh, so much uh, and they, they were retired now it didn't matter now money's not everything uh, but 
uh, at the end of your lifetime, uh, when you're, you know, uh, 70, 80, 90, whenever you're going to cash it in, uh, you know, what we try to do, what I do, is I want you to minimize your regrets. I want you to have your regrets in a little box that's six by six inches, not a fucking uh, uh, container car that a train's got to pull uh, because of all the woulda, shoulda, coulda. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I, you know, the oldest person that I've ever trained, uh, coach, is 84. Whoa. The youngest is 14. Uh, and uh, the guys that are all in their 60s, 70s, all say the same thing, uh, you know, their whole life is full of woulda, shoulda, couldas, uh, and that's a that's a shitty way to die. I mean, to leave the planet with all uh, all those regrets. So I pull it out of them. Uh, I met a guy this morning in my first meeting this morning here at the hotel was a um, a young kid, thirty three years old, uh, and. Uh, uh, by the time uh, 15, 20 minutes was up, he had water, uh, tears in his eyes. Uh, and I said, because you're, you got a shitty life, you've got, you're given a shitty example to your children, and your children are going to grow up and be fucked up just like you. What kind, of, what kind of fucking life is that? And the guy started crying. He says, you're right. How can you see that? I says, because you look like a miserable cunt. Just because you, you put a fucking tie and a suit on doesn't make it. You're still a miserable, you know, yeah. uh, cunt. And uh, and you know it, and God, and guess what? Your kids know it. Yeah, and that's 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 another thing that I've I've heard you say before about your family and about uh, one of the greatest quotes that I've I've heard you say. I'm sure you've got loads of them. Is uh, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I think Absol- that's fantastic. That's Absolutely. Fantastic. And can you, know, you explain about that? Oh sure, sure. Uh, I equate it to uh, this is American, but I mean it can equate to Britain as well. If you sit around in sports bars. In, in America, and you know sports bars where they got all kinds of sports on screens all around you, and all you do is a belch and fart and laugh about it. That's what you're going to wind up being. And unfortunately, the English pubs are exactly that. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. You know, uh, now it's a little too cold today. When I landed, it was five degrees, but in about a month and a half. You can go drive through London and every fucking pub will be overflowing with 50, 100 people standing outside. It's so crowded, they can't even get in it. <laughs> and the same in Scotland, same in the, uh, the north of England. It's all the same. Now, that's great. But to have that five, six times a night, um, a week, excuse me, five, six times a week, what kind of life are you going to have? And more importantly, what kind of example are you setting for your kids? And that's why it's very difficult to break the uh, the, the ghetto uh, uh, mold, uh, you know, the poverty mold. Uh, and uh, that's what all the politicians here in Britain uh, bullshit the the public to vote for them. They tell them how they're going to break it, but it's not true. It's not, they haven't broken it since I've been here for thirty plus years. And I'm told uh, by people that have lived here longer than I have. Uh, my, my my wife's lived here all her life. Uh, she went to school here. She's a chartered accountant, but she's from Yorkshire. Uh, I think Brillington, to be exact. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she says, Dan, they've been crying about changing the cycle since I was a little kid, and they still haven't changed it. Yeah, they've still not done it. And, uh, and another thing on back back to the uh, show me your friends and show you your future. Uh, you, you see as well about, and I've and I've heard this from other people about uh, 
you're the average of the the five people you're around the most. Oh, okay. Now let's, uh, 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 this is, this is one of my favorites. Um, okay. Normally, uh, first of all, self-esteem is built the first seven or eight years. It's a proven fact. Everybody knows it. Okay. So who are you around in the first seven or eight years of your life? Mom, right? Mostly. Sometimes uh, uh, a dad, if he's not working or if he hasn't left you, you got a dad. Uh, uh, but he's part-time because he's out trying to put uh, bread on the table. And you might have an older brother, uh, a cousin, or maybe a grandparent. So let's say there's these five people. Now, these five people not, 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 know not one fucking thing about training high-performance people. Unless you're fortunate your dad was maybe an Olympian or maybe Steffi Graf and Andrew Agassi are your parents that know, you know. But other than that, you're fucked, okay? Uh, and so you're, you're an average of those five people. Now, when I was growing up, and, uh, and I'm, I'm a Latino, uh, and so and the familia is really important, but I left the United States, even though we had some high-performance people in my family. They were school teachers, policemen, principals, you know, a couple college professors, etc. But we didn't have anybody in business. So I left the United States in the early 80s, and I came here to Britain uh, uh, to get away from my family. Now, that's a tough sacrifice. And, and my family, you know, although they didn't never say it to my face, uh, uh, I'm sure thought I was an asshole because I left. But now, of course, now I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, you know now, uh, before I was an asshole, then, be, then I was eccentric. Uh, now I'm a genius. Uh, and uh, it's not easy. Uh, and these decisions are tough. And that's why the guy this morning was crying. Yeah. And he's not the only guy who may cry uh, on this trip. Uh, and and uh, and I asked him a question. In fact, I, I put it on Twitter this morning or this afternoon. I said, how am I uh, different? Because he's looked at all my YouTubes and podcasts and etc. And he says, "It's you're a lot different face-to-face. Yeah. It's one thing. It's one thing being ca- called a cunt on YouTube, but it's another thing when you're only <laughs> when you're when you're only 24 inches away from the guy. Yeah, pretty, yeah. yeah, pretty intimidating. Someone calling you a cunt to your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it's more and real I, as well. It's more. Yeah, real. yeah. Um, my my system is built on uh, teamwork because uh, you know there, there's no I in team, but there is a you in cunt. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. And, yeah. And uh, when I was a kid, and uh, the uh, uh, I fancied myself tough. I, I used to get my ass kicked every once in a while. But I, I, you know, uh, where I came from, if you weren't fucking tough, you wound up dead. Right. Okay. And uh, so whether you whether and uh, wh- whether you were going to beat the guy up or not uh, didn't really matter. If you didn't fight, you were a cunt, and then everybody went to fight you five times a day. So uh, you, uh, you had to put uh, you, 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 you had to learn to, to fight, and unfortunately now it's transgressed into now people shoot each other and stab yeah, each it's other. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it all when the I when I was a kid fifty years ago, uh, nobody was shooting anybody. Yeah, now in LA, it's you, you hear it about it all the time. No. Yeah. Where I'm living, yeah. well, not where I'm living. I'm living in the nice end. I'm living in Brentwood. I'm sure you're familiar with Brentwood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's nice up there. Uh, Dan, so b- before I heard about you, before my brother-in-law sent us the podcast that you did, uh, I, I went uh, the Be- I'm sure you've heard of it, the, the Beverly Hills uh, Rolls-Royce garage. I was there looking at the cars. I can't afford one. I was si- sitting in the cars, 
And I don't know this. I don't know last year as well. And when I when I left there, I, I had so much motivation. I wanted to go straight to work. My my wife was like, "Oh, it's Sunday. It's our day off." I was like, "No, I love. I've, I've got to go to work. I need to go to work. I need to. I need to earn money to buy one of these cars." Then I'm listening to you on one of your, uh, I think it was the podcast or, or one of your videos, and you said you did exactly that when you were when you were younger in your twenties. Correct. You went to the Rolls Royce garage, sat there, and you, the words were, "You smelt the leather." And, Correct. Uh, like that really motivates me. Yeah. Well, uh, the um, in 22 years of coaching, I've had less than five people go smell the leather. Less really? than five. Wow. And in fact, we've got a special guest at the seminar on Saturday. A 16-year-old kid uh, went and smelled the leather, and he sent me pictures at uh, Jack Barkley's Rolls Royce in uh, in Mayfair. And uh, I'm going to introduce him, in, you know, uh, to to the group. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I used to go look at uh, this was a night. This was in the early '70s. I used to go look at million dollar houses, yeah. and million dollar house forty plus years ago was a lot of fucking house. Wow. Yeah. And I, uh, I got my first Rolls Royce when I was 26 and a half. It was a used Rolls Royce, 26 and a half. And I've been driving Rolls and Bentleys ever since. And in fact, I'm, uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but um, for my birthday, uh, it arrived early because my, my wife had it built for me, um, a uh, uh, Rolls-Royce Phantom Stretch. Oh, nice. Extended. It just, it just, I haven't seen it yet. It's at the castle right now. But um, uh, uh, my wife, Sally, wanted to make sure I had it for my birthday, which is in three or four months. So uh, it was built. And it got, you know, unlike the normal British thing, it got built early. Uh, and uh, so it's already been delivered. And so when they pick me up at the airport in a few days, uh, I'll sit in it for the first time. Um, but I've been, you know, I've, you know, driving, oh, I don't drive anymore. I haven't driven in a long, long time. But um, but uh, being in a Rolls Royce and, and, and being in uh, uh, flying first class, and I had my own planes for years. I don't have planes anymore, but... Uh, it, it, you know, I got used to that when I was in my uh, mid late twenties, early thirties, and it's been my life. You, you don't you don't think so much about uh, what uh, they cost. You just know that they're part of your life. Now, the bad side of that is, my kids were born rich, right? And so I've been extremely tough on them. I'm tougher on them than I would be on you or anybody else. I'm just tough on them. Because I realize I have to overcome the fact that they were born rich. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one of the ways that I overcome it is uh, when I die, whenever that is, uh, none of my trusts uh, are going to give them any money. They're not getting any money when I'm dead. Nothing. Not, not tuppence. <laughs> what what uh, do you think about that? Uh, well, they say they're okay with it. But I know one of them's not. <laughs> But they all say, "Oh, that's cool, Dad. That's cool." That's so, cool. are they are they working now? What what, what are they? Oh doing? yeah, yeah. Uh, my, I have three children. Uh, one of uh, which is disabled, but uh, the other t the two, a son and a daughter, uh, they work. Uh, they're uh, middle managers with big companies, big Fortune 500 companies. They went to good schools, like I didn't. They have multiple degrees, yeah. um, and uh, so they did. I pushed that side of them, but uh, neither one of them are entrepreneurs. 
although one of them uh, uh, says he wants to be an entrepreneur. And so he's uh, in his early 30s and my daughter's in her late 20s. And uh, but uh, if, they, if, if they were on this pod, uh, this, this uh, conversation, they'd say you have no fucking idea what it is to be his child. Oh, I, I mean, because I, I, I'm a ball busting son of a bitch. And and I bought I bust my kids' balls more than I do anybody else's, and I'm a big ball buster. So because see the thing is, and what makes me a great coach is I don't give a fuck if you like me. It's yeah. better if you don't like me. Yeah. And smart smart people are afraid of me. Smart, I don't want you to fucking love you. If you want a friend, go buy a fucking dog. I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I, I I have nothing to sell you. You know, uh, yeah, I, I can it's... say I can say categorically, most of your cunts, and I don't even haven't even met you. <laughs> and the uh, because I know I don't know based on your life. You yeah. know, you, yeah. most people that are listening to this podcast with the greatest respect are living quiet lives of desperation. Mm-hmm. They just are. Yeah. You know, one one in a million, or you'll break out like you did. Yeah, I think this this kind of leads on to the next question. I didn't know when I was going to fit this one in, but I'm fit in now. When I was boxing, I I got. I got criticized like, oh, he's a shit boxer. Yeah, I drew one fight and I got so much criticism, uh, Dan. It, it really, really hurt us. I was like 25 at the time. It, it pulled us down, and but now it made us stronger. Now you, especially the way you've just been speaking there, you've just called everyone a cunt, right? Now, Correct. <laughs> now uh, you've got a hard criticism in your time. and. Uh. How, how do, that's I, I that's an understatement. I'm sure now. I'm sure now it's it's like water for ducks back. It's simple for you. But back then, when you first start getting it, you must have took a little bit in, right? Oh yeah, but I, I, the uh, the uh, there's a saying in the um, 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 in Evita, uh, the uh, famous uh, uh, play Broadway play Evita. It doesn't matter what the morons say. <laughs> and uh, the uh, original Evita came out 40, 45 years ago. And I didn't hear that saying, but it's one that I have adopted. And uh, the and I really don't care. I, I care a little. Uh, but um, my dad, uh, my dad, in, you know, was so tough on me. Uh, and he, and he, he told me he didn't use he didn't say it like I said that most people are cunts. But he said most people are weak. And he was right. Yeah. I didn't understand how much he was right until um, the uh, uh, I got older. It's the old saying: "God, my dad's gotten so smart since I got older." You know, uh, it's because we can appreciate and we can assimilate these things that uh, you know some people uh, say. Um, I just heard one of my uh, uh, mentees, successful guys, um, on our, our monthly conference call because the whole group get together on monthly conference calls on uh, Skype or Zoom. And they said, uh, um, you know, uh, Dan, not that I need the validation, but he says, you know, Dan, you were right about such and such. And I said, well, it would have been, I would have felt better if you had done what I told you to do five weeks ago instead of waiting to step on your dick and then get involved in self-sabotaging activities. Most people get involved in self-sabotaging uh, uh, sabotaging activities, Tony, because down deep inside, they don't believe they deserve better life down deep inside they don't believe uh the uh you know like when you uh, drew, drew that one fight uh and uh they uh, i can just imagine what they called you but uh, yeah. the uh um the but down deep inside 
you believed enough. Obviously, you continued your, uh, your fighting, and obviously, uh, you went on to the Olympics and uh, and you medaled. Uh, contrary, and I'm sure there was a lot of people that thought that you were going to get knocked out at this level, this level, yeah. that level. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, people don't tell me I'm going to get knocked out at any level anymore. But I mean, 25 years ago, they sure shit did. Yeah. Uh, but I've been doing this a long time now, and um, the uh, now they they don't they they just believe that if I get involved 99% of the time, I'm going to make it successful. But I'm so used to winning. I'm so used to uh, um, uh, being successful. It's part of my DNA. When I fail at something, I'm fucking gobsmacked. That's a, and, that's a great way. That's a great way to uh, to be. Is that something that you can coach someone to be? To oh be yeah, that? yeah. But you you, you got to build up small successes. Uh, and what I when I when I when I, when I uh, get these kids, I say uh, it's just like uh, I think uh, uh, when guys get into price fighting boxing, they don't. Their first fight isn't the world champ, right? Yeah. You, you work into it, right? You, yeah. and, and your promoter and your manager, they set some fights up for you. They, they, they're almost positive you're going to win or they're, they're hoping that you're going to win. Okay. And then, and then they, uh, they, they feed you to uh, some tougher opponents and then you're, you're building confidence. Yeah. Uh, and, and we do it the same way. We, yeah. do the same. We, we, we go after what's called low-hanging fruit. Our first transaction, our first deal is an easy one. I mean, uh, sometimes some of the smart pricks say, oh, I, I don't need to start on, on that, Dan. So then they, they start, they try to do a bigger deal and they get their head, head handed to them. Yeah. Uh, and I say, oh, I guess maybe you're right. <laughs> and so then they go back and, and they do it um, uh, slowly but surely. Uh, but then if a big opportunity happens, you know, it's like uh, watching the, uh, uh, the uh, cage fighting. A, a young kid will, will take a fight with uh, one week's notice. <clears throat> and uh, you know sometimes yeah. they win, but most of the time they don't win. But you know they—it's uh, not their first fight, though. Yeah. They've been, you know, and uh, and so sometimes you got to take a, a fight or a deal with one week's notice, yeah. and you're not fully prepared. But one of the things is you're never prepared for 100. percent right. uh, You just never are, and uh, so you've got to build up uh, the confidence, and that's what you, you know. I'm kind of like the uh, your—I'm your corner man, your coach. Uh, your nutritionist, I'm all that shit put together because I'll be 70 in a couple months and uh, people like 70 don't look like me. I mean, uh, and uh, I'm in great physical shape and the, um, and um, I'm uh, actually, I'm still pretty fucking tough. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, but, but more important, you know, people ask me, uh, well, uh, uh, did I ever lose fights? I said, sure I did. But most of the time, people didn't want to fight me because they thought I was crazy. Yeah, and I was. Well, you sound you sound tough and you sound crazy. And well, I am. Well, I am. I'm both. <laughs> and, and when I was when I when I was your age, I was just uh, fuck. That's why I got thrown in jail so many times. Yeah. So especially when you've had a drink, I bet you were a bit wild, <laughs> like you uh, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. Um, that, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, <laughs> I was. And you and I, and I've seen you on every, every time I've seen a picture of you or a video. You always dress the part as well. You always look smart. You always wearing top suits and top gear, right? Yeah, and because you only have one time to make a first impression. Yeah. No matter no matter you know what happens, you only have one time to make a first impression. And uh, the 
And I, you know, like I say, I, I, I dress British and I think Yiddish. And I don't, and I don't mean that as a, not a compliment, but a, but a compliment both to uh, Jewish people because uh, they're canny businessmen and uh, the British, how they dress. And yeah. so, uh, but when I first came here in 81, uh, I didn't dress British. Uh, I do now, but I, did, I didn't used to. And uh, so, but you only have one time to make a first impression. And, I, and that's a tough concept for some of the kids to understand uh, that, uh, you know, no matter what happens, people are going to look at you and remember uh, that, that image. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's why in, at the seminars they have to dress in suits. Um, the, uh, you can say anything in my seminars, but you, you can't be late and you got to dress like a businessman. Yeah. Everything else goes, you know, nice. you don't have to, you don't have to be polite to me. You don't have to, you know, yeah. uh, or, or any of the other, uh, uh, attendees, uh, the, um, uh, you know, and, and you gain your own respect. Uh, I, I don't coddle anybody. Um, the, uh, and we, we, we've had some, um, we've had some pretty high profile people and we've had some low profile people, you know, yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I treat everybody the same as my kids would say, uh, our father treats everybody the same, like shit. <laughs> so, so Dan, you do, you do these, some, uh, some, is it some like in, in your, in your castle in Scotland, you live in right. a big castle in Scotland and you right. charge, you charge 10 grand a week, 10,000 pound a week or $15,000, right? Yeah. For uh, seven 10, days. Pounds, yeah. Uh, for, uh, uh, eight days, seven nights, eight days. So is it that that's to really get that the high performance people the people who's well no no some of the people borrow to get there uh, the uh, we have some very successful people and we have some people that uh, uh, want to be successful uh, we about about ten or fifteen uh, percent of the people uh, actually work for other big companies right but they want to get their training under their belt before they leave the big company um, the um, and they, they're, you know. Is it that the price one, to filter people out? No. Oh, yeah. That, that's what it is. It's to filter out the wannabes. Yeah. Because I used to do them for free, Tony. Right. Uh, and I'm not getting rich off these fucking semis. I'm already rich. I don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, and it's, you know, uh, and when you've got butlers waiting on you and uh, you're sitting down dressed for dinner every night. And you're on a 156-acre estate with its own golf course and uh, manicured lawns, um, and um, nice. you know you got people treating you um, like a Saturday when I do this deal for London Real. I'm going to ask the people that are there. Uh, uh, 34 people. We had they had to write essays to compete to come to this thing, and uh, we had hundreds of people apply. Well, we took 34. And I'm going to ask him, how many of you have uh, been at the Ritz Hotel before? I already know the answer. Not one fucking hand will go up, except for the two guys that I've met here at the Ritz before. But other than that, nobody's hand's going to go up because this isn't a place that uh, uh, they don't let you in the fucking hotel. That You can't eat, get in here without a coat and a tie on. <laughs> I mean, this is the only hotel in London that I'm aware of that still has those standards. Right, so you want you want people you want people who come on your on your courses to to feel what it's like to be rich, to feel what it's like to to, to, to live like you, so they get that mentality to. Okay, and when I'm in and when I'm in your neck of the woods, I live at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Oh, nice! That's a nice one. I live, uh, yeah, I live at the Beverly Wilshire, 
Uh, and uh, I'd love, uh, when I'm in L.A. next time, I'd love to, you know, have a cup of coffee or yeah. uh, the, the uh, uh, if you come by. Or maybe, maybe I'll come by uh, to, to one of your gyms. Yeah, uh, but I'd be wearing a three-piece suit, so I, I but, because uh, that's, that's my uniform. Yeah, I'd be wearing shorts uh, and a t-shirt. <laughs> that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. Yeah, but uh, that would be great, mate, that would be great. Uh, Dan, you're, you're rich as shit, obviously, you've got, you're, you're, you're loaded, right, mate? What do you spend your money on? I have a, I have a few bob, yes, I do. You've got a few bob. <laughs> what right. do you spend it on? Um, well, uh, I give, uh, my wife and I support, uh, oh, shit, we support uh, three orphanages, two schools, Sri Lanka, Rwanda, and the Philippines, uh, two scholarship funds. Nice. Um, and whatever else my wife uh, feels sorry for. Right. Uh, the um, the uh, we travel a lot. Uh, we spend a lot of money. You know, I just got off a uh, twenty hours travel, a fourteen hour flight from Kuala Lumpur. Oh. We uh, I spent three days uh, playing with the orangutans in Kuala Lumpur. Nice. Uh, uh, my wife and I are going to the North Pole in three weeks <laughs> uh, on dog sleds. Uh, and we're going to re- get uh, married again at the North Pole. We've been married at the South Pole a few years ago, so we're going to renew our vows. And uh, according to Guinness Book of Records, we'll be the only couple uh, that's ever been married at both poles. That's brilliant. And and going to the North Pole with dog sleds and shit ain't cheap. Uh, <laughs> so we, we we find ways. Um, I've done a lot of crazy things. Um, I used to have uh, race cars and shit like that. That's a great way to piss money down a rat hole. Have race cars. <laughs> Uh, but now we spend the money on ourselves or charities. That's awesome. That's great. And so you've, so you've got all this, all this money. One thing that I find very hard to understand is, I mean, well, you're from America. Why the fuck do you live in Scotland? <laughs> okay. That's a great question. Okay. Um, <laughs> a lot of people ask me that. Well, I used to be a fucking fanatic golfer. I used right. to be. I used to, I used to be a very good golfer as well. Not good enough to be a pro because I really got no athletic ability. Uh, uh, my uh, hand-eye coordination isn't so great, but I, I was a good golfer. And uh, when I tried to retire in 1984, the first time, over 30 years ago, I wanted to be near the home of golf. And so I wanted to be near St. Andrews uh, and uh, Carnoustie, which I used to be members at both. Uh, but then after uh, about 10 years of playing those courses all the time, uh, I had a permanent caddy at St. Andrews, or excuse me, St. Andrews and at the Carnoustie. I, uh, my wife built me a nine-hole golf course on the estate, oh, nice. so so I didn't have to travel so much. Yeah. So I, uh, um, and so that's why I went to Scotland. I also went to Scotland because I thought if there was ever a nuclear holocaust, that's going to be the last fucking place anybody <laughs> drops a bomb. That's true. That's yeah, true. Uh, and uh, and and uh, the. Um, and my daughter was born in Scotland, and my two sons started their education in Scotland. Uh, and it's quiet. I mean, uh, I, I, my estate is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, my closest neighbor is, you know, a few miles away. Wow. Uh, and uh, it's very peaceful. And so um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a perfect place to show that yesterday's dreams are today's realities. In 1983... I was looking through a magazine, uh, the Rob Report, R-O-B-B Report, and they were selling, they were advertising castles on islands. So I thought I was going to buy a castle on the west coast of Scotland on an island. But when I started looking at them and I look at the logistics, 
uh, you know, and having to row a boat to get to your castle didn't appeal to me too much. So I, I had to have it uh, reasonably close to an airport. Uh, I'm 80 miles due north of Edinburgh, and I'm 50 miles south, south, uh, west of Aberdeen. Right. Wow. I didn't know that is. <laughs> uh, Dana, we've been on for 45 minutes now, and I really appreciate your time, but I've just got a couple more things, mate. If, sure. If that's okay. If... Uh, if you will give anyone out there advice, like to stuck in a dead end job, to, to to get out of there or, or, or to, to to change the life around, what would it be like? What what would the bit of advice be for them? Um, well, I mean, follow your dream, follow your passion, but just fucking do it. Don't spreadsheet it. Don't Google fuck it too much. Don't yeah. Wikipedia. Just fucking do it. Yeah. And uh, the um, no easy decision, no excuse me, no hard decision uh, uh, is going to be made easy. Uh, through research. No hard decision is going to be uh, uh, made easy uh, 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 through uh, uh, procrastination. Procrastination, uh, 95% of procrastination is because you don't want to make a hard decision. And um, yeah. the uh, and what I've, uh, it, it's like, okay, I've never been, I've been in jail, but I've never been in prison. But I, I've, I've trained some ex-cons. I've, I've, I've trained murderers. Murder, fucking murderers wow. that did their time. And uh, they all say the same thing. Dan, uh, we don't wish you to ever go to prison. But if you go to prison, the first fucking day you're there, you pick the biggest fucker there and you hit him right square yeah. in the mouth. And even if you get the shit knocked out of you, I mean, everybody knows that you're not afraid. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's how I lived my life as a kid. You know, right. and I and even though I'm a pretty big guy. The guys that I hung around with, I, you know, I wasn't the toughest. I, on, on a scale of, uh, out of 10 guys, I was probably only the third tough, uh, the, the, the seventh toughest. Right. Uh, and, uh, but I, w I was always the first, you know, I, we stopped talking about it. I remember when I was about in my early, uh, before I went in the military, I was 20 years old. And, uh, and this big guy, really big guy, he played football for University of Southern California. And uh, I knew I could probably talk my way out of it because I, I had loud mouth. I'd been drinking. <laughs> and, but I said, fuck it. I just hit him right in the mouth. Nice. And, yeah, and, and, uh, and I got lucky. He tripped, fell, and hit his head on a curb and knocked himself out. Wow. <laughs> now, if, if he had got – and my buddy said, Dan, we better get in the fucking car because when this guy wakes up, he's going to kill you. <laughs> He's gonna kill you. So I kind of, I tried not to run to the car, so I, so I didn't look afraid, but I kind of sashayed to the car, and we got in the car, and, and then we were off. <laughs> then, then I bumped into this asshole seven months later, at a basketball game, unfortunately, and he recognized me, and he came up to me. I feel this, and he's about six foot six, six foot eight, and I feel this big hand around the back of my neck. I knew who it was. I didn't even have to turn around, and he spun me around, and he says. You're the luckiest white guy I ever knew, but you taught me a lesson. I want to thank you for it. Wow. <laughs> I was just about to pee down my leg, too. I was just about to <laughs> And so, so now I'm a big hero, but uh, I always put myself in situations I can't back out of. Right. That's great. I love that. Uh, Dan, uh, last thing, uh, a couple more. Uh, if, you could, if you would recommend any one or two books, I know you've probably sure. read thousands of them. What? No, no, I haven't read thousands. Oh, you haven't? No, no, no. Uh, I believe that uh, reading books is an excuse for not taking action. 
but I, 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 I'll name the books that the right. few books that I that I that I do recommend. Obviously, my book, your first hundred million, uh, but uh, it's not for sale anymore. You have to get it on torrent. I tell people all my shit's free on uh, my site, but if you can't get it on my site, go to torrent. Torrent is uh, is the, are the sites that steal all everybody's shit. Go to torrent. Okay, that's number one. Second book is a book called Release Your Breaks by one of my mentors, a guy named Jim Newman. That's still in print. You can get that. The third book is uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the fourth book is uh, uh, Tough-Minded Management and Tough-Minded Leadership by Joe Batten, uh, another one of my former business partners. Uh, and uh, the last book uh, is a book by Michael Gerber uh, named E-Myth. Not E-Myth 2, 3, 4, but E-Myth, which teaches guys that they, they waste too much time working in their business instead of on their business. All those books are available. They're all pretty cheap. Mine you can get off torrent, yeah. uh, and uh, the uh, and that'll that'll help the, your guys. Um, but I find people in the north of England have a harder harder work ethic than the people in the south of England. Yeah, I agree. It's the same with boxing. I agree. The yeah, t- the little bit tougher as well. <laughs> yeah, well, well, no, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the uh, I I I would say that uh, that. Uh, and uh, my, my wife is a, a great example of a Northern England person. Yeah. She's uh, as tough as nails. And, um, but she had a hard life. I mean, right. uh, it's, 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 it's hard to be tough if you had an easy life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was, it, was it you who said that quote the, that was the worst thing for your kids is being born in there? Yeah, that's uh, – oh, Andrew Carnegie said that. Right, yeah. And Andrew Carnegie comes from right down the road from Guthrie Castle where I live. Oh, he wow. lives. He comes from a little town called Dunfermline, yeah. Scotland, and uh, he, uh, he he is my overall idol as an entrepreneur, the oh, greatest nice. entrepreneur of all time, uh, little wee Scott. Yeah. Uh, and if his money was in today's dollars, he'd be worth you know three or four hundred billion. Wow. Uh, and um, yeah. Wow. And, so, uh, but Dan, but you're it... gonna see you're, you're gonna leave your kids rich. See, you're gonna leave them rich. Yeah, that's it's scary, isn't it? Yeah, Dan. If uh, if anyone wants to find out more about you, um, I'm going to be tweeting this podcast out as soon as it comes, as soon as I release it. Uh, where can they find out about you? Okay, danpenya.com, danpenya.com, uh, or ask the fifty billion dollar man.com. Okay. Uh, those two, uh, but danpenya.com's got all the free stuff that I told you about. Yeah, and then on Twitter, and, they can contact you through Twitter and. Oh yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, or I call them like Tweetfuck, Linkfuck, and Facefuck. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Amit. Well, I know time is very valuable, especially for a guy like you, and I really appreciate you coming on this Boxing Life podcast, mate. And okay, I- well, I, I'm glad I could help you out, and if there's any other way I can help out, let uh, let me know, and uh, I'll see if we can get together when I'm in LA next time. Yeah, that would be amazing. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much. See you, mate. Bye-bye now. What a fantastic podcast. What a fantastic and fascinating man that was, Dan Pena. If you enjoyed it, check out my other podcasts. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, they come, come through your phone often. I think SoundCloud does the same as well. And you can leave us a review on there and t- tell me what you think. Or, or you can get in touch with us with a hashtag Boxing Life on any of the social uh, media outlets. So thank you for listening all and just a quick reminder that I'll do that email, I've got an email list on my website tonyjeffries.com 
if you want to go there. I've only done one email so far and I've got a great response. It's on network and how to network and, and bring better things into your life on TonyJeffries.com. Until next time, like I say, thanks for listening. I appreciate all the feedback. Speak to you soon.